Today is the first Sunday of 2018. We made it to another year. Usual practice for many uh, when a new year comes, either the week before or the week after, we spend some time reflecting about the last year, how did it go, planning for the next year, all sorts of resolutions are planned and accomplished on January 1st, and we see how the rest of year goes. Well, as we begin this morning, in light of that, you know, I, instead of jumping back into 1 Samuel, uh, I decided a, a couple weeks ago to, to look at Psalm 1. Uh, next week, we're going to have a guest speaker, uh, Jared Bur- Burwell, who pastors a church in Skyway, and uh, his ministry is also the ministry we're giving our Sunday school kids offering to. He, he'll be here next week to preach and share about their ministry, so we're excited for that. And so instead of jumping into 1 Samuel and then be out of it for a week, I just delayed it. So we'll get back into that two weeks from today in 1 Samuel. So this morning we're going to look at Psalm 1, and as we begin, I want to ask a simple question. Are you happy? Has 2017 been a happy year? If yes, what can you point to that would identify that it was happy? Was it your job? Was it your family? Was it your church? What made you happy? The reverse is, maybe you're not. So what made it, this last year, unhappy? You know, if you spend any time walking to any bookstores, I do this occasionally, I'm curious of the books that are for sale. You'll, you'll see all sorts of books on psychology and sociology and political science, and all these books have something in common. They're, they're there to answer a problem. How can we be happy? Why is there so many religions and so many cults out there? They want to be happy. They want to find satisfaction in life. And where can we find it? And I suspect there, there are a number of you here this morning that are not happy. And I've been there too, my friends. The weight of life, situations with people, hard stuff that comes in. And so I'm preaching to myself as much as I'm preaching to you this morning. We're in it together. But I believe in in God's word, there is a way to be happy, even without escaping those problems that we're faced with. And I want to talk this morning about biblical happiness. What does it mean to be happy? Can you be happy? Can Can you really live your life on earth with happiness that transcends all of the storms that life brings? So we're going to look at Psalm 1. We memorized this a couple years back as a church, so you should have it familiar So if you haven't already, turn to Psalm 1 and follow it as I read. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and all he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. As we look at this psalm, I've broken it into three points to kind of give you some handles to to grasp this and take take what we're going to talk and walk through this morning out with you. So three points that I want to cover this morning. First, happy people don't follow the world. 
but find pleasure in God and his word. First, happy people don't follow the world, but find pleasure in God and his word. Second, happy people don't find their strength in situations, but find their strength and joy in God. Happy people don't find their strength in situations, but find their strength and joy in God. And three, happy people don't seek happiness, they seek God. Happy people don't seek happiness, they seek God. Simple statements that I'm making, I wanna spend the next 40 minutes to unpack each one of these and give you some application for your life. And so I wanna pray and dive in, and so you pray for me, I'll pray for you, and we'll start. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you that we can come together as the body of Christ, as the family here, and I ask that you would help your children here, seated, to help them understand your word, that you would be their teacher and their guide, that you would speak to them, that you would encourage them, you would convict them if needed, you would bring change to their lives. God, I pray that you'd use me to do this in your behalf. May you receive all the honor and glory if it will happen in this place. We ask it all in Jesus' name, amen. Before we dive in, though, I need to set a clear definition of what happiness is. I mean, it says right off the bat there in, in Psalm 1, blessed. What does that mean? John MacArthur de defines it as from the blessed, from the perspective of the individual, it's a deep-seated joy and a contentment of God. And the Hebrew Dictionary of the Biblical Languages says that it's a heightened state of happiness and joy, implying very favorable circumstance and enjoyment. How would the world define happiness? Well, most of the world wouldn't need a definition because for them, happiness is a feeling. It's a feeling, it's a euphoria, it's an excitement, it's something that happens, it's something that comes and something that goes. But for the Christian, happiness is more. Happiness is joy, it's, it's gladness, it's blessedness. All these terms equal with happiness. Biblical happiness is deeper than a feeling because feelings come and go. Biblical happiness transcends this world and all that it has to offer. Biblical happiness is deep-seated joy because we remember who we are and what we're saved from. We're gonna unpack this as we go through, so I hope that whets your appetite as we dive in. So first point, happy people don't follow the world but find pleasure in God and his word. Psalmist says, again, Psalm 1 and verse 2, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Let's, let's pause there. There's a lot in this verse, this first one. But he begins right away as, as pointing to this blessed man, a happy man. And a happy man will not be like the world. A happy Christian will not live on the advice of the wicked, or, or, or will they live like the guilty, or even join with those that mock God. In, in verse one, it's talking about the intellect, and the behavior of a happy person. The Christian doesn't run to the world to solve their problems. The Christian doesn't turn on Oprah to find hope in their life. Why? Because the Christian knows that there might be a bit of truth there, a, a speck of good instruction, but it's not the truth. That's only found in Scripture. 2 Peter 1.3 says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. And this verse is true. The scriptures are enough. 
But what happens all too often is that we seek to abandon the scripture and hope that the world can help us. It cannot give us the help that we need. It cannot give us hope. And I've given my adult life to the ministry of the church, and there hasn't been a problem too complex that the Bible can't speak to. The happy person doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked. They, they don't seek the world for the answers to their problems. The happy person also doesn't stand in the way of sinners. This is talking about the behavior of a happy person, a Christian. The Christian doesn't follow the path of sinners. They, they aren't entertaining the idea. They, they don't stand with sinners. And there's a third step downward, and it's that the happy person doesn't sit in the seat of scoffers. And in Hebrew language, where you sit is where you belong. You know, if you sit with men in that culture, you become like them. And, and we know of this to be true in some context in our culture today, right? I mean, if you remember high school in the lunchroom, right? Where you sat, said something about you. The cheerleaders sat over there, smart kids over here, the jocks over here. And where you sat, you belonged to that group. You were with them. Maybe you didn't want to be with them or you were, you were part of it, but you were, you were there, you were sitting with them. And he says here, the Christian doesn't sit with scoffers because scoffers mock God. They, they mock the church. They, they mock Christianity. So the blessed man, the happy one, the Christian does not follow the world, but they find their pleasure in God and his word. And in verse two, he says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. The Christian delights. To delight means to enjoy, to find pleasure, to, to wallow in, to relish in, to, to love. And the Christian takes pleasure in reading the word. Now, when it says the, the law of the Lord, we're not talking about just part of the Bible where it, it communicates the rules. No, it's, it's talking about the whole message of the Bible as the rule for living. This isn't a man that says, oh, yes, the, the laws of God. Honesty is the best policy, so, so I want to do that and be that in my life. So I'm going to be honest. That, that's not what he means here. He's saying that the happy person finds pleasure in the word. They can't stop thinking about it. They're, they're always thinking through it, meditating on the word, it says. You realize you can know God's word and not delight in it? You know, it could have said in the scriptures here, know the word. Know the word. But it doesn't. It says delight. Delight in the word. Why? Why make the distinction here? Any person on earth can know the word. They can study the word. They can read the word. They can memorize the word. And they won't be happy. And they won't have any change in their life. And, and this should give us pause, parents that are sitting here. Because we want our kids to know the word, right? Can I get an amen there? We want them to memorize it. But if all we do is hold up the word for them as a task to be completed, then we are no different than Satan. That's strong words, Jeff. You know that Satan knows the Bible. He knows the word. He knows more of the Bible than you do. In fact, I heard this weekend, Satan has had more theologically accurate thoughts about God in the last 24 hours than you will have in your entire life. What do you think of that statement? Do you believe it? I believe it. 
because Satan is incredibly intelligent, brilliant, in fact. He knows God. He knows all about God. But Satan hates God. He hates his word. He doesn't delight in the word. He seeks to destroy those that look to delight in God's word. And so we're going to keep having Awana here at EBC. Now, because we want our kids to just know the word and memorize the word, we will continue to have Awana because we want our kids to love the word. We want our kids, I want you to delight in God's word. I want my own kids to delight in the scriptures, to find pleasure in reading and studying and applying God's word to their life. It's not enough just to know the word. We have to delight in it. We have to take pleasure in it. And how do you learn to love and delight in the word? He says here, you meditate on it. Now, what does meditating mean here? Well, if you look up the word meditation, you will find the word rumination. Rumination is a farming term, and it relates to a cow chewing its cud. Cows eat grass, they chew it up, and they swallow it. But they're not like humans, because once it hits the first compartment of their stomach, it stays there for a little bit and soaks up all the acids and chemicals. This is the good part here. It comes back up. After a period of time into their mouth. And what does the cow do? Chews on it more. Chews on it a lot to get more out of it. And at this point, it tastes a little different. Because it sat some time in their stomach. comes up. And they do it again. And they do it again. Good word picture for you, right? Chew on it. Back and forth. Back and forth. It happens multiple times until it's fully digested. And the cow gets every nutrient out of the grass that it consumes. That is the picture of meditation. We chew on it, and we chew on it, and we take it in, and we dwell on it, and we think through it, and we try to memorize it. We want to we make it our own. And I've heard many say they struggle to read the Bible on a regular basis, and I think one of the problems is, is they don't understand how to meditate on the Word. And so kudos to all of you that started reading Genesis 1-1 on Monday. The beginning of Bible reading plan is good, but we need to meditate on the word. We need to ruminate on God's word. Happy people are those that are meditating and then delighting in the word because it's steady, because it's consistent. The word doesn't fluctuate. It's, it's not like our news. We have so much news. And I read yesterday that the news of Abraham Lincoln being shot took five days to reach Louisiana. And we can get news about the stupidity of man in seconds. Mere seconds. So we're inundated with news. And some of you would never miss a day to read the news. Did you hear what Trump said? Did you hear what's going on in Korea? Or you spend hours on Facebook getting the scuttlebutt. What's the rumors? Did you hear what so-and-so did? But you don't stop there. You meditate on it. You know, again, think of the, the cow and the cud. You chew on it. Can't believe they said that. You ruminate on world news. You ruminate on the gossip of life, going over and over on it, chewing on it, meditating on it. 
You spend all this time on world news and yet we neglect to, to really meditate and think that we most definitely need to. We have it all wrong. We're, we're dwelling on the wrong thing day and night. It says there, verse 2, Christian meditates on God's word day and night. Christian delights in the word. So, so what are you meditating on? What are you delighting in? And happy is the man who does, doesn't live in the advice from this world. It says in verse 1, the Christian lives their life based upon the word of God. And happy is the man that doesn't stand in the way of sinners. He doesn't, he doesn't mingle his life with them. He doesn't spend all of his leisure and all of his time with them. Whether that's in the, in the flesh one-on-one or if it's on the screen. Happy people don't find their enjoyment by watching sin on TV. Do you know this, friends? Don't, don't be foolish enough to say it's just fiction. I can walk away. If your eyes and heart are, are consuming it, you're standing with sinners. Don't, my friends. Happy is the man who, who doesn't sit with those that, that mock God, who, who define their life with those that are against who God is and what Christianity is. Happy people, they don't, they don't shun sinners. It's not like you should run away from unbelievers, huddling in a corner, refusing to talk to anyone that's not a Christian. That's not what the psalm is saying. Happy people will have friendships, and they'll have friendships with unbelievers, but they won't be companions with them. Scriptures say, don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? So happy people don't, don't follow the world. They find their pleasure in God and his word. Second, happy people don't find their strength in their situations, but find joy in God. Real happiness, Christian happiness, is not a superficial happiness. It's, it's more. Verse 3 and 4 tell us of the happy person. Says he is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and the leaf does not wither, and all that he does he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Now think about this metaphor for a moment. A tree. We know about trees, right? I have some trees at my house. My neighbor actually has trees in the back of their house. They can see it from my backyard. There's something incredible, important and yet incredibly simple to understand about this metaphor. And that trees are subject to the seasons. Right now, it's not very fruitful. Trees in my backyard and my neighbor's backyard actually just, just stand there. They just exist. It's not blossoming. It's just there. It's still alive. It's still going strong. It's towering. But it's not progressing right now. These trees are subject to seasons, winter and summer. It's not always producing. It's not always productive. These trees that I see are not always looking green. The leaves don't always stay. They fall off. They fall into my yard and I need to rake them up. But look again at this tree in verse 3. This tree is planted by streams of water. This tree's roots are planted by a riverbank. This tree has constant access to the waters, even though the seasons come. Even though droughts come, it's still connected to the stream of water. So this is the image that's presented, but why? 
Friends, happy people don't find their strength in the situations. They find their strength and joy in God. And we mistakenly think that we should find our joy and happiness in situations, that we should find our joy and happiness in circumstances. We, we, we begin to think that we can find our happiness on the outside. And if you think you can find your happiness on the outside and what comes to you from outside the world, then you'll screw it up. You, you will eventually be disappointed because real happiness is not found on the outside, it's found on the inside. It's where your roots are planted. Now listen, if you get anything from the sermon, you need to understand this, friends. Your happiness does not consist in what happens to you, but in what you are in. Some of you are trees planted by streams, and yet others of you are planted out in an open field with no water in sight. And those that are planted by streams receive nutrients and strength and your roots go deeper and deeper when the droughts come. Strength comes from the inside. But those of you that are out in the open field, you depend on what comes from the outside, what falls on you, what comes to you from the world. And a Christian is someone who has been planted and rooted in something besides him or him herself. A Christian is someone who has been planted and rooted in something besides him or herself. And the Bible talks about new birth. Back in 2 Peter, again, in verse 4, it says, By which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires. Something has been planted into us, and we're now partakers of the divine nature. We are now rooted in God, not in this world. But not everyone's planted in God. Verse, verse four says, the wicked are not so, they are like chaff that the wind drives away. A Christian is not like chaff that has no root. But unbelievers are. They're compared to the worthless chaff, which in the process of winnowing grain was blown away by the wind, and after the cut of grain stalks, were trampled and crushed on the threshing floor. They were pitched into the air by use of a winnowing shovel, and the grain fell to the ground, and the chaff or the straw was blown away. The tree is planted, and the chaff blows away. Two distinct things. One is a Christian, the other is not a Christian. One is rooted and growing and experiencing real happiness. The other is fleeting, dying, and experiencing hopelessness and misery. Do you understand this, friends? A Christian is someone who has been planted and rooted in something other than himself. They are rooted in God. But yet there's still more in this verse. Because there are some that think that Christians don't experience trauma in their life. That they don't suffer. That they only experience their best life now. And that's a damnable lie. 
James 1 says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet various trials. 1 Peter 1, 6, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. We will be grieved by various trials. We will mourn. But it doesn't say you used to rejoice and now you grieve. No, it says you rejoice and you grieve. And how does this make sense? This metaphor right here in the text, the tree is planted and goes through seasons. There's a drought, there's a tough season. The tree doesn't die. Its, its roots are in something, deeply connected to something, to someone. You see, there are people in this world who come to you in the midst of a trial and say foolish things like, don't let this get to you, be happy. And I'll be blunt this morning, that's unbiblical advice. It's unhealthy. If you see a Christian going through a terrible tragedy with no tears, no mourning, no grief, it's not because of God's peace. They've probably brainwashed in some way. Because you can be grieving and be happy at the same time. And, and I know this sounds contrary, friends, but it's biblical. The, the tree, when it's going through a season of dryness, has to pull out of the depths that its roots are planted in. And because of the season that it goes through, the tree goes deeper to draw what it needs to survive. And I know there's some of you in this room that have gone through deep valleys. They're dark and lonely nights. And you know what I'm talking about. It's hard to explain to those that are outside of the faith because there's nothing like it on this planet to rejoice and to have joy and happiness in God in the midst of suffering. There's something about a drought, about suffering and, and fruitlessness in your life that makes you, if you're a Christian, put your roots deep down in him in a way that you never did before. See, when I talk about happiness, when the Bible talks about happiness, it's, it's not a superficial happiness. It's not a silly happiness, a simple amusement. No, it's a, it's a joy that's substantial. It's deep within us. And those of you that experience this know what I'm talking about. You're suffering, a tragedy has come to you, and, and you're, you know you need to put your, your roots deep down in him. And, and suddenly you realize that the pain doesn't flee. It doesn't vanish. The grief doesn't necessarily evaporate, but an overwhelming joy and glory comes. And, and in that moment, you experience grief and joy at the same time. And friends, this is the Christian life. And the Psalms are full of this. David, as he's in the wilderness, running for his life, cries, cries out to God in Psalm 63. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there's no water. So I've looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your glory and power because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. 
In your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as the fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night, for you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you, and your right hand upholds me. Do you hear David's words as he's running for his life? In the midst of suffering and grief, he's rejoicing in God. Happiness is not based on your circumstances. It's not because you can control your environment or control your allegiances. Happiness is not superficial. Happiness comes when we're planted deep in God, rooted deeply in him. So happy people don't find their strength in their situations. They find their strength and joy in God. Last, happy people don't seek happiness They seek God. Biblical happiness can't be found on your own. Happiness is always found as a result of seeking something more than happiness. When when you see the word blessed or happy in the scripture of a man, it doesn't say that 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 blessed man is a happy man because he's seeking happiness. It It doesn't say that. There's always more. Blessed is he who trusts in the Lord. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven. Blessed is the poor in spirit. There's a lot there throughout scripture. There's something more. It's not the pursuit of blessedness. It's not the pursuit of happiness. So coming back to the one I just read. Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord. So, So should you seek happiness or should you trust in the Lord? See, if you if you seek happiness more than trusting, you get nothing. If you seek to trust God, you get both. What are you really living for? When we search for happiness, you'll, you'll experience unhappiness. You'll have anxiety. Why? Because you're trusting in something other than God. Why is it sometimes you shy away from conflict? Why is it that you have standards, but sometimes you, you must break them? Why is it? Because unless God teaches us from his word, our natural tendency is to seek our own happiness first and foremost. You say, I believe in honesty. I believe in purity. I believe in integrity. Those are principles of my life. But when those principles threaten my happiness, they're out the window. And you say to yourself, I have to be happy. And you you find a way out of those principles then. People may look at me and think bad things about me and would cause my unhappiness and I have to be happy. So I'm going to be selective then on what I say. I'm going to be selective on how much truth I give, the appearance of wisdom. If something bad happens and I won't be happy. So I need to protect myself and, and I want to protect them. I want to protect their happiness. For those that are here in sinful relationships and you know purity is right, living righteously but you might lose them. And, you know, I might lose the girl. I might lose the, this person, and I don't want to lose them. I want to be happy. And see, friends, you've chosen happiness over obedience. You've made happiness your top priority, and you, you want to be happy. And the Bible tells us over and over again 
that we have this tendency to look out for ourselves more than anything else. Scriptures say if you seek happiness more than anything else, it will elude you. You have to seek God and God alone. And then apply it to every part of life. If you make a happy marriage your first priority, you will never have it. If you make your, your, your job to be a happy job, you will never have it. And I've heard people say before, I want this moment to last forever. It won't. You won't be able to do it. Because happiness is not something you can make. Because if you try to make happiness the main objective of your life, you'll never find it. Now think with me, is, is God committed to your happiness? Yes, absolutely. But if you come to God to make yourself happy, you come to a false God. A God of your own making. And there have been many throughout the years that have come to Christianity to make their dreams come true, to make them happy, but they're not coming to God. They're coming to a butler. They're coming to someone that can serve them. But that's not the God of the Bible. That God doesn't exist. The God of the, the scriptures is there and you come to him because he created you and he owns you. When you come to Christ, you come to him because you know that you were made for him and you want to serve him, not the other way around. You come to God and you say, I don't, I don't care about happiness because I owe you everything, God. There are some that come to God and say, I want God, but I also want much more. So you either, you either say to God, I, I owe you everything, you owe me nothing, or you say, I come to you now and you owe me a lot. And how do you know which one you've chosen? chosen excuse me. It's when troubles come and you say, what's the point to go to church? What's, what's the point to, to read the Bible anymore? What's the point? Because when you come to God, in hopes of happiness, your number one priority is happiness. And what you need to understand and grow in and realize is that when you come to God to love and serve him, you get happiness. And here's the paradox. The less you are concerned about your happiness and the more you're concerned about God, the happier you will be. Now, this is not a scheme. Please don't quote me that Jeff's just given a two-step pattern here to how to have your best life now. It's not a scheme to get something from God, saying this, doing that, and getting the payout. No, this is the result of following God. Pursue God. God will bring blessing in your life. Now, the blessing in life may not be material wealth at all. May not be health. May not be any of those things that the world would say is, is good. But it will be a peace beyond any understanding this world will give you. It'll give you hope beyond this world. that supersedes this world. But if you pursue blessings, you'll get neither. 
Happy people don't seek happiness. They seek God. Friends, a happy life is possible. And why don't more people have it? It's because they're so focused on this world and focused on their circumstances and they forget God. And because they only pursue happiness. We're gonna have communion here in the moment. But listen, friends, that the gospel, Christianity, makes you, it makes you a sadder person and a happier person at the same time. It's a mystery. You don't have less problems. You just begin to see those problems in light of your present and future. And I'm, I'm saddened to see how many non-Christian friends deal with life. And they end up denying how hard life truly is. They cannot be honest, because if they're honest, then they have to admit that they have no hope. And so they continue to deny it, and they run from it. But friends, listen, you can deal with the difficulties in life because you know that your happiness is not tied to anything in this world. You can feel the pain in this world and you can grieve because you know where your hope lies. You, you end up being happier and sad at the same time. Because ultimately your happiness in God overwhelms the sadness in this world. That's the Christian life and it only comes by remembering who you are. It's, it's rehearsing the gospel every day. So you can be a happy Christian, a blessed Christian. It's possible. Don't look at your circumstances. Look directly at Christ. Remember that he saved you, that he's keeping you. And delight in the word. Meditate on the word. Chew on the word day and night. And in this way, we will live a blessed life. And as we Go to the Lord's table this morning. The, the bread and the cup are a visible representation of the gospel. So would you join me as I pray? God, I thank you that we can come to this table this morning knowing that you have done, you've done it all to accomplish salvation for your people. Thank you that we can join together with other believers and remember Jesus' sacrifice for us on the cross that he took our place, he, he took our punishment. Thank you for being the gospel for us, Jesus. Amen.